This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. This is episode two of the ongoing series where myself and Stephen uh, will be introducing you to the weird and wonderful world of Asian cinema. Um, as I said already, ready, I'm joined by my co-host and uh, general partner in crime from Guilio Ramblings and Eastern Kicks. It gives me great pleasure to welcome back Stephen Palmer. Obviously, before we get into our selection for this episode, which is the Toho's second stab at the King Kong franchise uh, with King Kong Escapes from 1967. Um, we've got just a few bits and pieces. First of all, we have to say a very happy birthday to Stephen, who recently celebrated his birthday. Thank you very much. We won't say what age it was, but <laughs> it's done now. So, um, of course, obviously, being a film fan, did you get anything film-related for your birthday, or was it? Do you know, I did. My... Um... My colleagues at work banded together and bought me one of these sort of sort of film directory sort of reference guides all about Asian and Asian American cinema. So um, that was a bit of a shock, actually. But uh, I will be thumbing through that for bits and pieces over the next few months, I'm sure. Yeah, you can never have uh, too many film guys. I think between DVD Delirium and like the Scarecrow film guide, there's... A couple of good uh, ones out there, especially for the uh, for for Asian cinema. There's the uh, guide to like new Japanese cinema in particular, which is pretty good. And you've obviously got films like the books, like the Tom Mess's uh, books on Takashi Miike Agitator, which is also uh, well worth checking out as well if you're an Asian cinema fan. So um, yeah. I look forward to obviously uh, hearing uh, back from you, and obviously if that was any good. I will let you know. Um, also, since our last episode, uh, you went to the cinema and saw the live-action version of Ghost in the Shell, which I've heard nothing but mixed reviews of since it's come out. And it, this is obviously a title that people were very sceptical about when Scarlett Johansson got cast as the major. Then we saw the trailer and everyone got excited about it. And then it came out and people don't know whether to like it or to sort of blast it. So, I mean, I mean, what was your sort of thoughts on it? Well, I, I I wrote a review for Eastern Kicks, and I felt almost as if I was fighting against the tide because quite clearly people who love the anime and the manga are probably set against it anyway. If, however, you go to it as a fairly thoughtful, brilliantly shot, imaginative sci-fi movie, it's really pretty good. It's not earth-shattering or groundbreaking or anything like that but it looks good. It tells a story. Now, I, I think I say in my review is that actually it's less inspired by Ghost in the Shell than it is by Robocop. Because <laughs> it, it takes its, um, it, 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 it sort of eschews a lot of the sort of the metaphysical and the side of it that we talked about last time and is more interested in a sort of a governmental conspiracy and people's memories that have been transplanted into other heads and trying to avoid the spoilers but at the same time it's it hits a lot of beats from the original and it some scenes are live actioned and i actually 
pretty much enjoyed it. It's a solid sort of three and a half out of five, I think I gave it. And I think that's fair enough. If you if you want to go in hating it, it's not going to turn your um, opinion around. But yeah. if you want to just accept it for what it is, as a as an iteration, as a use of the source media to make a to make a film, there are way worse films you can go and watch. <laughs> that. So I, I assume you haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, this is mainly because I just haven't had chance to get to the cinema. I rarely get chance to get to the cinema, you know, just due to real life responsibilities. I'm not one of these hip independents who can just go on a whim. So um, it takes a little more planning. And at the moment, it looks like my next cinema trip is going to be for Alien Covenant. So I have a feeling that, especially with the mixed reviews that goes in the show, that I think it's one I'm going to probably wait until it like comes out on uh, DVD or Blu-ray or whatever comes first. I think it's certainly worth a sort of a Blu-ray purchase. There's a lot goes, you know, visual. I mean, as as we probably expected from the director, you know, it's not flashy, it's not clever, but the the actual creation of the world yeah. that it's in is really well done. Um, you know, um, and Takashi Kitano steals the show in the scenes that he's in. It's two of the best lines and the best moments. Scarlett Johansson is perfectly good you know it's um it's it's not a horror it's not a horrible horrible film which i think a lot of people were just saying it is out of probably just down to respect to the original yeah i know people are very protective of uh, the original property much like akira so i think with obviously with ghost in the shell having all this buzz around it there's obviously the rumor mill has gone into overdrive once again with people saying that they're going to do akira but you know we've been talking about doing akira for like the last 17 years so uh i don't I, think I, it's coming anytime soon i don't think so i don't think ghost in the shell has done fantastic box office i have a feeling it'll do rather well in sort of home media but i don't think it's it's you know, it it failed against the boss baby. You know, so <laughs> it's 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 not going to it's not going to be the start of a of a new sort of um, wave of films based on uh, or Western films based on anime and manga. No, I think give me a follow up to Dread first, and then we can talk Akira. I I, I would gladly pay money to go and see a uh, Dread two. Yeah. Anything that uh, gets us closer to seeing the Dark Judges on screen can only be a good thing as far as I'm concerned. And uh, people are still talking about Dread. All the major players involved in Dread are still wanting to do it. So all we got to do is find ourselves a billionaire and we can get this uh, get this greenlit. So that's all that seems to be missing at the minute is uh, just someone to write us a check. So. Well, we had to wait that long for Mad Max Fury Road. You never know. I know, I know, but I don't want to wait 30, 30 years for, <laughs> for another sequel to Dread. Talking of things which have been a long time coming, I finally got round to watching Gundam Wing for the first time. Uh, Gundam Wing, for the fans who know already, is currently celebrating its 38th anniversary at the moment. Uh, so there's been lots of exciting things happening. Uh, Gundam related Crunchyroll are showing the old series and several of the other uh, series as well. Mysteriously, they've not been showing Gundam, uh, Seed or Destiny, which is a bit frustrating because Seed is obviously the one I came up with. Uh, really enjoyed that series throughout. And now I've just gone back and I'm starting right at the beginning with uh, the original Gundam Wing. And I'm a couple of episodes in and it's really... It's really exciting and interesting to watch. Yes, the animation is a little dated, which can be a bit jarring, but if you can get past your animation snobbery, then uh, there's still a lot to enjoy there. 
other than that, the other animation which has been holding my attention is Attack on Titan. Um, Stephen, are you... I mean, no, no, you're not the biggest anime fan. Have you caught the Attack on Titan bug yet? or you I haven't. It? I haven't, and I avoided the... They did a live-action, Japanese live-action version of it last year. I can't yeah. remember if it was a one- or two-parter, and it had such miserable reviews, I thought. I, I'm not buying into this. <laughs> However, you talk about Gundam. The interesting thing is, although I've never partaken of the animation, yeah. when I was much younger and possibly getting on for 38 years ago, <laughs> um, I got, when I was a sort of young kid, I got hold of um, some Gundam kits, you know, like um, Airfix sort of kits, but yeah. sort of the Japanese models. And I. That, that, I, I made a few. I, I love giant robots. And uh, yes. <laughs> so, 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 so I guess even at an early age, the connection was there. Ah, it's one of those things that culturally, culturally has always been in the background. So I think a lot of people are aware of what Gundam is. They're just obviously more than likely not seeing the actual cartoon that goes with it or anime should we say so it's it's one of those big cultural things and attack on titan has again has become this big cultural series if you've yet to see the series basically it's set in this world where humanity is sort of walled up in the in this sea to protect themselves from these man-eating giants known as titans and we follow this uh, young boy as he goes through the corpse and joins the fight to battle these titans and obviously try and discover where they're coming from this series is absolutely epic in scale the first series or 25 episodes covers the first five years and like game of thrones this is a show you don't want to get attached to any characters because they can be killed off at any time and trust me this show will stomp all over your emotions remorselessly at the moment they are doing the simulcast on crunchyroll with japan so it's kind of been shown an hour after it's shown in japan and just watching the first episode of season two i'm just hooked all over again um this show is just absolutely fantastic and even if you're not a big anime fan i think there's still enough great storytelling there. There's enough action um, and still enough splatter there to uh, make it an interesting enough series just to give it a curious watch, uh, if only to see what the hype's about. Uh, as for the live-action version, I've still to see that myself. So, um, so, once kind of... again, so once again, you're trying to stop me having even more, any more free time because <laughs> you're trying to get me to go and watch something else. It's uh... Damn you, Elwood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just throwing these things out there. Whether you whether people choose to choose to follow or not, that's completely up to them. I'm just do we just letting people know what's out there? We're just we're just providing a service here. <laughs> Obviously, onto our featured viewing for this episode, we are talking about King Kong Escapes. As I said, this is released in 1967. This was the second release from Toho after King Kong vs Godzilla. Noteworthy at the time for having King Kong come first in the title because he was considered the biggest star than Godzilla. Now, with the sort of rights to King Kong sort of running out for Toho, they decided to take a second crack, and especially with King Kong versus Godzilla being such a box office success, uh, they here teamed up with Rankin and Bass, who is probably best known for their Christmas specials. And they also produced the Saturday morning cartoon, The King Kong Show, which this film in particular is based on. Uh, 
Now, the film itself is directed by Ishiro Hona, who is probably best known as being like one of the the key directors of the Godzilla franchise. And here he teams up with the other Godzilla fathers, uh, which includes producer Tomiyuka Tanaka, composer Akira Ikufumbe, and most noteworthy of all, uh, special effects legend uh, Ijo Titsubura, who come together to create this kaiju version of uh, Kong once again. The film itself, it sees the evil scientist Doctor Who, uh, not to be infused with the time-traveling one. This is an evil Japanese uh, scientist called Doctor Who who has created his own Mechie version of King Kong called Mechie Kong. And he plans to use this robot to dig for this mysterious element called Element X, which he can only find in the North Pole. And unfortunately, the radiation that it emits causes his creation to shut down. Now, at the same time, we've got the American commander, submarine commander, uh, Commander Nelson, who, along with his crew, have discovered King Kong living on Mondo Island. And through this discovery, Doctor Who plans to kidnap Kong and use him to extract this element X by hypnotizing the giant ape. And, of course, you know, monster madness ensues. Stephen, I mean... What's your sort of opening thoughts on King Kong Escapes? Okay, on a, a bit of extended journey to this. So when you told me that's what we were going to be doing this episode, I thought, oh, blimey, how am I going to track that down? <laughs> literally, literally two days later, I'm in Tesco's, and not only is there King Kong Escapes there, but King Kong versus Godzilla, both for a fiver each. And I thought, well, all right, it's meant to be. I picked them up. And... They were, the American, they were the American cuts and dubs. So, you know, you, you, you understand maybe you're not getting the, the, the entire picture. King Kong versus Godzilla is clearly there's a great film in there somewhere, but it's, <laughs> dev- it's devastated by the American side of things with, with, with action halting moments of bizarre television programs sort of explaining the plot to you and some terrible science along the way but you know the, the, there was stuff in there and once we got to sort of the back end of the movie it was it was a good laugh king kong escapes on the other hand is clearly sort of an american japanese production from the off isn't it and i thought it was a huge amount of fun <laughs> floored only by some confusing stuff in the second half of the film where characters motivations and geography seem to go a bit askew but you accept these kind of movies for what they are. You know, if, if you're going to accept this as people in rubber suits stomping over miniatures, then, you know, you, 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 you've taken that on board. And taking that on board, I really, really enjoy King Kong Escapes. <laughs> That's kind of a relief. Um, it's even <laughs> going to go one of two ways when you give someone a kaiju movie. They're either going to really enjoy it for what it is, or they're going to start poking holes in... In essentially the fact that it's just, as you said, it's just a guy in a rubber suit. I mean, this one obviously falls during the sort of chop socky era of kaiju movies. So at this point, Godzilla is becoming more humanized, as we see in like Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, where he's obviously seen doing the Highland Fling in space. And this one actually falls uh, just before perhaps one of the greatest Godzilla movies, uh, Destroyer Monsters. So we do get to see in advance a couple of di- monsters who would appear in that one. In particular, we get to see a 
Sea Serpent that looks like Mandra, and we also get to see uh, Baragon, who is completely different than uh, the Baragon that we obviously see in Frankenstein Conquers the World. That mainly due to issues with the suit and, in particular, some dubbing issues on air, destroy monsters, but that's beside the point. Here, we're obviously getting to see Kong fight a dinosaur, and this comes real quick in the film. We're not having to hang around here. This isn't like the Peter Jackson version where you're having to wait an hour or something before you see a dinosaur. You get, what, 10, 15 minutes into this film, and we're having Kong fighting Baragon. We are, indeed. And that, and that also, of course, is utterly respectful to the original King Kong movie, which King Kong fights a dinosaur, right? <laughs> of course. So one of the first things we see him. So that's one of the things I actually liked about it, is that it, it took its time. I mean, we, we had some stuff with, was it Mechani Kong to start with? But once yeah. King Kong wakes up, and he is the sleepiest giant monster of all time over these two movies. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you get down to it and, it and it feels it feels respectful of the original. It's hitting some of the same beats and ideas. And it's yeah, the, certainly the first half of the movie is is it's really good. <laughs> yeah, clearly they realized here that that you need to have dinosaurs. I mean, this is something that the 76 version of King Kong clearly missed out on the fact because if we remember that version, I think all we got was just a giant snake. There was no dinosaurs. And I think that was always one of the things which disappointed me about that film. Not the fact that Kong doesn't climb the Empire State Building, which, if we remember correctly, was on vacation that week and hence led Kong to climb the Twin Towers instead. <laughs> In this one, um, Kong gets to have a battle with Mechani Kong on the Tokyo Tower, which again stands in for the Empire State. But yeah, the, the the actual fight scene between Kong and Baragon is really enjoyable. It's a fun little brawl that they have, even though it does end in quite brutal fashion with uh, Baragon getting his jaw broken and spe- seemingly being beaten to death by Kong. But obviously... Uh, he got over whatever he was uh, suffering with because he appears to destroy monsters in the next sort of film in the series. So that's exactly what happened. Well, it's it, it's a, it's an unnamed dinosaur in the in the original King Kong, but that's exactly how he kills him. He breaks his jaws open. So yeah. that was um, that was great. And and the other thing which struck me in upon viewing it sort of rather initially, there's, there's there is this sort of feeling in in the in this kind of film in the 60s there's this this desire for some great overarching world order isn't there so what they're expecting out of the united nations as some kind of overall controlling influence over the world so all our all our heroes here work for sort of the united nations don't they um <laughs> and it reminded me of like a almost like a sort of a jerry anderson world you know where 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 it's i can't remember what they're called but you remember like that well Well, not just that but like captain scarlet lives you know he he operates on this international for this international organization that's protecting the world you know and and also with the um on their submarine they've got that little flying car boat hovercraft (laughs) thing you know and that just it just made me think of jerry anderson carter it's all tv 21 style um and even more so when we get to meet doctor who and um our other antagonist It, it it feels like a cross between a, a kaiju movie and an episode of A Man from Uncle with a little dash of uh, John Pertwee era Doctor Who, not wanting to doubly confuse the use of Doctor Who in this in this chat. But it's 
just a lovely aesthetic going on. Yeah, definitely. And obviously with the whole setup, I mean, it is derived from the King Kong show, that uh, Saturday morning cartoon in which Kong basically was battling like mad scientists, aliens, you know, robots, space monsters, whatever, you know, usual Saturday morning fare that they felt like drafting them against that particular episode. And here it's essentially the same. We have Kong in this case, he's battling, you know, he battles a dinosaur and a, throws a rocket at a sea serpent, which is just unbelievably funny. The fact he managed to actually hit it like head on with a rock. And we obviously have the big showdown with uh, his, his Mechie version. So it's all sort of ties into that. And the actual villain of, of Doctor Who, which is so confusing, especially to British viewers watching this, not to think, of the Time Lord when we're obviously watching this movie, whenever it says Doctor Who. And I I thought while I was watching it that it may be like a mispronunciation that I heard it was like like Doctor Wu or something well, like that. I, I, I believe sounded. it is. I believe it is Doctor Wu in 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 its original tongue. So I guess it's just that kind of corruption comes along, doesn't it? Yeah. Um but I mean Moen I think one of the best things about Doctor Who is the fact he has uh, the sexy henchwoman, uh, Madame Piranha, played by Mi Hammer of uh, You Only Live Twice fame. Probably the one of the hottest Bond girls ever. Well, um, and made in the same year as <laughs> You Only Live Twice as well. So this was a busy year for her. Um, yeah, she, she is one of the hottest Bond girls ever. And that was one moment of racial insensitivity aside it's probably one of the best um james bond films for for minute to minute action and fun yeah but when you look at doctor who's lair here it does seem to resemble blowfield's lair from that film doesn't it just you know she must have, <laughs> must have had no contract she always has to go to the same place or something like that. <laughs> but i mean she has the amount of outfit changes though she has she's at the north pole yet she has like the most extensive wardrobe of any character in this film She's one fashionable lady for the sixties, isn't she? Oh, definitely. Um, and but bizarrely, so so halfway through the film, it suddenly sort of suggests that you should have seen this cartoon, so you understand the relationships between, um, like, like apparently, apparently Commander Nelson and um, Doctor Who have um, have previous <laughs> that that hadn't been mentioned before, and. Um, it, it, it feels like if you had watched the cartoon, you'd be much more informed about what was going on here. And then with my hammers character, she suddenly sort of jumps around a bit what her motivations are. And she turns from being the femme fatale to almost a heroine, doesn't she? It's all very strange. The, th- the second half of the film sort of really jumps around in terms of characterization. Yeah. Well, and, and the same is true. So we have um, our, our American leading lady the, in the Faye Ray role, which is Linda Miller. Um, she seems to have affections for the, uh, the, the Japanese-American lieutenant Nomura. But then half the time she's got her arms around Commander Nelson and it's all very confusing. <laughs> it's almost as if they're making it up on the fly. And the reason I sort of mentioned this is you mentioned about um, my Hammer's sort of um, costume changes. I don't know if you noticed, but she, she sort of clearly one costume change is re, has been rejigged and she's, she's wearing it. And then 20 minutes later, she's wearing it again. But she had changed at least twice in the meantime. <laughs> so, I did, 
Yeah, I don't didn't actually notice that, but then again, it's in the most confusing. I don't know what's supposed to be going on because once we get to, they get taken to Doctor Who's base, and I love the the whole build up to that is that they're looking for Kong and where Doctor Who could have obviously taken Kong to, and it's like, oh, I don't think it'd be in the North Pole. Oh, wait a minute, that's exactly where he is, and that apparently Japan is in the middle of the ocean according to his map skills because. He just randomly points to Kong's possible location on the map, and it's like the middle of the ocean, and it's supposed to somehow symbolize uh, symbolize Tokyo. Yeah, there's a because because when they're captured to take them to the North Pole, they fly there in a twin-engine prop plane from Indonesia. I promise you, in 1967, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> and then and then a bit later on, when when Kong escapes from the North Pole, he goes to Tokyo. Now. It's made clear he's a reasonable swimmer. <laughs> not that reasonable and not that fast, one assumes. And, and it's, the whole, um, you know, the, the film is obviously trying to get us to a point where Kong and his uh, mechanical facsimile are going to do battle on the streets of Tokyo. Yeah. Climb the Tokyo Tower. And, you know, it's it, it's, it's it's trying to be like a Japanese version of King Kong in, in that sense. But the uh, it's a little ridiculous how things play out. Why did he go there? What 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 inspired him to go there? I'll I'll never understand. But uh, you have to take some of these things. You just have to run with them, don't you? I think because giant monsters are instantly drawn to Japan, it's it's like in their DNA that they just feel compelled to go and visit there um, at one point or another. So. There's, That's there's, probably, the there's probably something. There's probably it's probably how currents move or something like that. But they all do, don't they? They all they all have to go to Japan. Yeah. But we have to note that Kong doesn't actually wreck anything in in Tokyo at all. Um, it's only when when Mechani Kong turns up that things start getting destroyed, and we get the traditional sort of kaiju action of Tokyo being reduced to rubble. Um, because apparently Mechani Kong doesn't really care for roads or buildings that stand its way. It just has a very direct path. That it goes in uh, in its mission to uh, confront Kong. Yeah, and, and oh, that just reminded me as well. At the beginning of the film, the reason that Doctor Who and um, and uh, Madame Piranha, isn't it? Yeah, go and get Kong is because Mechanic Kong breaks down when mining this mysterious element X. Yet half an hour later, he's back in the Blofeld headquarters. But he was stuck down in the in the mine. I've, I, it, it really is weird. The first half of the film is put together quite carefully yeah. and setting everything up, and then it just goes, "Ah, you know what? Let's just fling everything at the screen and see what happens." <laughs> Huge amount of fun. Don't get me wrong, but um, don't come to this one if you're looking for logic. Oh, I I love the fact that you say it's so carefully put together. We arrive on Mondo Island. And apparently the budget can't support a whole tribe of people, so we get one we get one old Japanese actor who's been painted orange because apparently they finally decide to wise up on the fact you can't do blackface. Oh my um, gosh. Well, King Kong versus Godzilla is a incredibly uncomfortable watch in that regard, isn't it? Because they blackface up about forty or fifty Japanese people. Oh yeah. And <laughs> and, and I'm like I don't know how to react to this. You know, part of you thinking, well, this is what they did at the time. Doesn't isn't yeah. right. It's, it's just how it was. And some of it thinks, no, and no level could this ever have been right. <laughs> it's just, oh, for so yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I'm, 
more able to get past when I see like blackface in like uh, Asian productions than I am when I see like John Wayne playing Genghis Khan in The Conqueror, or when we see um, when we look at uh, the Johnny Five movies, the uh, short circuit films, and we've got uh, <laughs> a white actor blacked up to play an Indian actor. Apparently, so convincingly that years later, people didn't actually realize he wasn't an Indian actor. Oh really? And uh, but then we of course got Mickey Rooney in um in Breakfast at Tiffany's, and and then on the other side you have Ben Kingsley playing Gandhi. So it's a thing, I guess. But it's um if people want to just going back to our last film, if you want to complain about Ghosts in the Shell, there's plenty of other bigger targets, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, this uh this poor old old Japanese man who's been brought in to play this islander who gets uh gets randomly bumped off by dot who doesn't um apparently take kindly to uh being told that he can't kidnap kong um i have to obviously say that it that kong is probably e- this is the easiest time i've uh, seen kong be captured because basically just has a bunch of smoke bombs dropped in from a helicopter and then they use like those claw grabby machines to uh basically cast him off with four helicopters and i think well that was kind of easy it is but this this kong has definitely suffered some narcolepsy he he is constantly falling asleep the first time we see him he's he's sort of waking up from laying down these yeah. bombs seem to send him to sleep um he nearly falls asleep doesn't he in the mine there's something wrong with kong <laughs> i don't know what it is but he's i think he suffers some narcolepsy People yeah. need to find out. I mean, there's the same moment just to obviously look at this Kong suit because this is obviously a kaiju reimagining of what King Kong is. And yes, it's an improvement over the suit we saw in King Kong versus Godzilla, but this is still a very bad suit. I mean, it's not as bad as some of the monkey suits that we've seen in similar sort of ape movies when we look at things like Queen Kong or Ape. Those are some pretty atrocious monkey suits, but this one they you can tell that they've clearly tried to like put some humanity into the character. So he's got these big sympathetic eyes, but a lot of the time, as you said, he looks half asleep or stoned. So he does. I mean, it, it's a step up from the from the the gorilla in Trading Places, I guess. But it's um, it's, it's I have to say. These suits, I mean, I read time and time again when I'm reading up about these kind of films, how the suits get damaged, and I just suggest don't stand in giant tanks of water with them then, because <laughs> I, can't, I don't think that's going to do them the world of good. But it, I, I, thought the, I thought the suit was fine. You know, you, you, you accept a certain level of um, naffness around these things, yeah, and that's part of the charm, I think, isn't it? And as as these things go, I thought the Kong suit was fine. Like you say, I think that I think it actually does show that the facial side of things actually quite works. You know, he, I I think you get a sense of his emotional side. And actually, I quite like the Mechie Kong suit all round. Really, I thought that was great. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, with the suits, they Toho like notorious for recycling suits. Like you often see like. Godzilla suits show up in Ultraman. Uh, there's an episode of Ultraman where they basically put a frill on on the old uh, Godzilla suit from Godzilla and Son, I believe the suit was from, um, and spray painted it. Now, with Japanese health and safety, they decided the best way to obviously recolor the suit is to have someone wear it and then they spray painted it. And 
you would often find this time and time again when they're doing like the kaiju effects that they would often strap explosives onto these suits and blow them up and this is often with an actor inside so uh it often fascinates me that what passes for like asian health and safety especially in japanese and hong kong filmmaking because it always seemed to be like the two which seem to be pushing it further each time um i i don't think they have anything like the health and safety rules we have in the west <laughs> just just in general not around filmmaking just full stop <laughs> but we've uh obviously in the suit uh this time we've got haru nakajima who is probably noteworthy for his work he did in the godzilla suit i mean he did a lot of the key films uh of that sort of era from like invasion of the astro monsters through to like godzilla versus uh, megalon and he did obviously do some like cameo appearances as a live, a live action um, actor. So here it's he's obviously doing his Kong version, and I feel he does a really good job. I mean, both uh, himself and Yu Sidika do really great, like monster suit work in this. The fight scene on the Tokyo Tower in particular is really enjoyable to watch. It's daft, but it's uh, it's really kind of fun just to see these two giant apes battling on top of the Tokyo Tower. I mean. Did you like the action sequences throughout this, or? Oh, I really did. I mean, we already spoke about the dinosaur fight at the beginning. That does have a bit of a laugh because the dinosaur does sort of like flying two-footed kicks at Kong, <laughs> doesn't he? Um, but I'm a huge fan of the original Godzilla, right? Yeah. But I, I think you have to put that to the side, and it's a different sort of film to what they became later on in the various sort of iterations and phases. I'm aware of them all. But actually, this one really stands up. I think it, the, the the you know we we build up to this to the the, the fight between the the two versions of Kong, and we get there at the end of I don't know, was it an hour and a half or something like that. And I think it was worth worth it at the end. The special effects are fine. Um, <laughs> again, comparing it with King Kong versus uh, Godzilla, where a lot of the moments are ruined because of the terrible i guess they're using um cso aren't they sort of color separating overlays to try and put real people in the scenes at the same time yeah here it wasn't so bad it was great <laughs> I, I i had an absolute blast and you know as you know i am not the biggest kaiju fan in the world i'm not I, i've watched a few and i i always enjoy them when i watch them but i'm not i'm not going to protect it because i'm a kaiju fan yeah which i think can happen and i'm willing to accept its flaws because it's a charming film and it gives you what you want at the end you want to see the giant ape take on the giant robot don't you and it does that and it's you know within the context of it being filmed in 1967 on a fairly limited budget really even in those days i think it succeeds in spades well it's yeah, I mean, there's, there are some questionable moments throughout. Uh, there's certainly some interesting dub work. Um, in particular, Linda Miller hated that they dubbed her voice in the American version, but she actually loved the actor, actress who did her voice in the Japanese version, which was uh, Kiko Santoro. And, and wasn't wasn't this because she she was technically a model? Yes, and, um, and not an actress, and therefore she couldn't use her own voice or something like that. Weird. <laughs> it's uh, basically the fact that uh, Rod Nelson, uh, sorry, Rod Reason uh, was 
read was uh, able to redub his lines because he was part of the Screen Actors Guild. But as you said, Linda Miller, she was just a model, so she has no rights to to ask to redub her lines at all. She's not covered at all. So um, I think she was the- she was just she was just a model who happened to be in Japan at the time, and they were saying where well, they want a Western woman to be in it. I mean, what a wonder what a wonderful opportunity that was. Didn't exactly create yeah. a great career for her but i think she's actually quite fine um even if she is the victim of some quite casual sexism across the early part of the film well she's the object of lust i mean she's not only the object of lust between our obviously our submarine commander nelson here but also as she said the um nomaru as well um here played by akira uh, takarada who is another godzilla mainstay he's put in several appearances for throughout uh, the Toho movies. I mean, you can see him in like Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster or Emperor Horror of the Deep to give it its proper UK title and the title I commonly refer to. I mean, he also appears in Invasion of uh, the Astral Monsters, which is also... Um, it's noteworthy the fact that we've got some of these reoccurring actors here. Um, in particular, we also get to see Andrew Hughes who would appear in Destroy All Monsters um, with a really weird dub in the uk version where he just sounded like a old man struggling to talk but here he shows up as a united nations journalist and it's kind of interesting to see him of all people appear uh in this film so it's got it certainly has so 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 with the with the other kaiju films i've seen that have had sort of american reworks it always feels quite clumsy you know, because they're obviously trying to put, yeah. let's be honest, they're trying to put a white face in it so that it's more acceptable to a, a Western audience. But here, because it's from first principles, very much a joint operation, it, it felt quite seamless to me. Yeah, I think when it comes to the gods of the movies, I mean, there's only a couple where they actually edited American footage in. Um, both cases it was with Raymond Blair. Um, he plays the newspaper, news caster in the, in the American version of Godzilla, uh, which was released as Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Um, he's also shows up if you watch the alternate version of, um, I believe it's Return of uh, Return of Godzilla or Godzilla 1984. They reworked the story so he now has a psychic connection with Godzilla, which is kind of random. Um, and it's also a completely garbage version of what it's actually a pretty good movie. Um, so if you get a chance, always watch the Japanese version because it's, it's infinitely better. Uh, and and uh, uh, that that goes without saying, I think, <laughs> for anything anything like that. Um, I am I'm I'm always a subtitles over dubbing person, so. The yeah. fact that an American version might have different scenes or different edits, I think, on the whole, I would try and avoid it. But circumstance sometimes means that's all you get, right? I know what you mean. And there are obviously other gods and movies where they, as I said, they cast English actors. I mean, we've got Nick Adams shows up in Invasion of the Astral Monsters. We also have, as I mentioned already, we've got uh, people like Andrew Hughes who turns up in uh, Destroy Monsters, which would obviously be the film that uh, Ishiro Honno would go on to make after this film, and is well worth uh, checking out, but I'm going to talk about that one a little bit later. The only issue I have with this film is that when we get to the North Pole, and we have we have uh, Com- Commander Nelson here, who's basically having this confrontation with Doctor Who. Meanwhile, we've obviously got... Uh, Nomaru and um, 
and Susan, who are basically being frozen in their cell. They're going through all this awful thing. And he's basically been trying to be seduced by Madame Prana. He's got Doctor Who trying to charm him over a game of chess. And it seemed that we had all these these like random sides where he's off socializing and they're sort of on the blunt end of any sort of particular torture or nastiness. It just seemed like such a weird way of doing those particular scenes. And it was kind of confusing what was supposed to actually be going on there. So Uh, that, that was the, that was absolutely the part of the film where it just went, what, huh? What's (laughs) your plan? I, I still, I've watched it twice and I was still none really the wiser of what was trying to be achieved here. So now I've already spoken about how Madame Piranha suddenly changes sides. So it's okay to bomb the whole world, but, uh, but setting a, a giant ape on Tokyo is not right. They're really weird about what country she comes from, aren't they? And then like you say, they do this strange thing where they sort of try and freeze two of them to death, but seduce the other one and then rescue one of them and, not rescue it and it's like what on earth is going on and then i decided do you know what life's too short i'm just gonna run with this and just see what happens i think the only thing more confusing is the connection that kong has with with susan um and obviously as you mentioned already i mean it's it they're trying to rework that favorite ray connection where kong is obviously attracted to beautiful western women and the the sexism in particular in that particular scene when they get back to the United Nations and Commander Nelson's basically trying to explain that they found Kong with no photographic proof or anything that people just taking him on his word that Kong is on this island and that he's obviously can be controlled to an extent by Susan and it's sort of like it's like well look at that she's a beautiful woman I'm thinking wow that's not at yeah. all sexist, is it? I mean, I mean, if it's been a British, you know, you can imagine Alfie, you can say, she's a cracking bird, isn't she? Or something. <laughs> yes. and, and everyone's just sort of just nodding in the, in, in the press corps. Um, oh. My, 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 my favourite bit of, of casual sexism in the film, though, is something um, when they go back to the island. Yeah. And they're trying to find Kong. They get on their little supercar again, don't they? And they, they park up, and the three of them get out, and uh, the, the commander goes, you stay here. It could be a bit dangerous. They literally walk two steps <laughs> and, and find the sort of the remnants of the bombs or something like that. And 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 then it's all. Uh, oh no, no. Actually, I'm getting confused. No, that's when they when they first go, isn't it? She's all excited about going to the island. Yeah. They, to the island, they stop. They tell her to wait there, and then walk off. The, the two guys, the two manly men go off and then she's threatened by the uh, dinosaur, which brings it all in. Yes, I've confused two parts of the film, but it is, it, it's very confused because it clearly wants to make her to be important and that Kong loves her and blah, 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 all the, the whole Fay Ray thing going on. But, and clearly there's a moment early in the film, isn't there, where, where some of the other submariners sort of say, hey, it's really good having a hot woman on board, isn't it? And you think, Oh, yeah. This is yeah. Fun. this is this is within minutes of the film being open. We've got such casual <laughs> sexism being thrown around. So At that point, she gives them a... She sort of turns it on them, doesn't she? And sort of turns it back yeah. and says, hey, I'm a lieutenant, you do what you're told. And, and, and you think, yeah, well done you. But then the rest of the film decides not to follow up with that at all. No. And then think... turns and turns Madame Piranha from, from quite a interesting potentially dark character again to something quite um she's in control she's the boss isn't she and then suddenly utterly submissive to uh to the western men and it's a bit disappointing really but 
1967, I'm afraid. Well, I mean, Madame Prana is obviously representing this mysterious country. Uh, her origins, uh, we're not sure. I think we have a scene where Commander Nelson's basically like, you're not Chinese, Japanese, Thai, Philippine. It's like, really get this off. every Asian country and you think, well, I'm none the wiser where she's from either. One assumes she's from Vietnam, I think is what they're trying to put probably say everything that's going on <laughs> in the world at the time but it's it's not clear and it, and 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 what actually her plan ever was is a bit mysterious as well but well let's not forget that we obviously have the scene where dot two's lackeys go to pick up our trio in in the plane which they're seemingly more than happy to just go along with um and number who comments is like comments on the pilots is like they're not japanese and it's like, well, they very clearly are Japanese actors, so I don't know where you think they've come from. And, but... that's, and that's the Japanese-American guy saying that, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. No, but they're not Japanese. Oh, let's just get <laughs> on the plane anyway. And, and it's, like, it's like, it's just weird stuff going on. But again, isn't that isn't that part of the charm? That's why we're here. I if know. It, if it's utterly straightforward and utterly PC, I think this film would be 90% less enjoyable. It sort of like knows when it's getting too stupid because when we've got this whole back and forth, obviously between Nelson and Doctor Who and stuff, um, it clearly gets a point where it's just getting stupid. And at that point, Kong goes absolutely nuts and uh, starts breaking out of his cell. Um, but then again, he did have like the world's smallest chain on. So I think it was just kind of wishful thinking by uh, Doctor Who that he wasn't going to break that. Um, we also learn in this film that uh, Kong can actually be hypnotized. Through uh, the magic of a flashing crystal, and he and he and he understands English perfectly. Apparently so. Um, and uh, Mechani Kong also uh, sounds like he's got a disco siren when he moves, which is uh, kind of fun. Oh, and there was the there was the other strange bit. Do you remember when Kong is incarcerated in up in the North Pole? He's in this giant cage which they've built. <laughs> And he sees the mysteriously rescued mechanic Kong over the other side of the hangar. And he sort of looks at it and says, oh, and, and it sort of superimposes another Kong face on top of the um, mechanical Kong. And thinking, <laughs> Are we going somewhere where we're saying that he thinks it's a woman or something? I, just, I really didn't know where we were going to go with that, but it never really goes anywhere, does it? It's a, it's a sort of, there's this whole midsection of the film, which is just, utterly random <laughs> well i mean it's fair to say i mean where are all these giant apes coming from because we only ever see one at a time um wh- where are where are all these apes coming from um we never see any any female apes we just obviously see kong every time and uh no matter what happens to him there's always a replacement kong by the next film to uh take his place so yeah the, the fact they do. They do hint about this actually. Another scene in the film where because there's not only a giant gorilla, but there's an island full of bloody dinosaurs. I mean, <laughs> surely, surely that in and of itself is worthy of an expedi- expedition of something more than three people in a submarine. But yeah. it, it's. But I think that's a that's a common the the sort of the kaiju films I've seen either are accepting of a continuity. Or they just ignore past <laughs> continuity, and this one very much is in the ignore category, right? Yeah, <laughs> I would say <laughs> pretty much so. So, um, but I mean, do we have any sort of final thoughts on there uh, on this one at all? Or? 
But do you know what? I'm going to thank you for recommending this film because when you suggested it, I, I like I said at the beginning, I was a bit like, oh, God, <laughs> not 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 that I did judge your misjudge your taste, but I thought it was going to be much less all-round fun for all sorts of reasons than it actually was. So it's probably in nobody's top ten kaiju films of all time, but I really got a kick out of it. So thank you. That's okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's going to obviously continue with some of the films that we have planned in this series, but uh, yeah, I'm glad that uh, you enjoyed it. It's as I said, it's one of the better kaiju movies out there, especially in the giant ape genre. So if you're obviously looking at like exploitation movies, there is a lot of very bad uh, ape movies out there because you obviously have good ones like Mighty Peking Man, and uh, you have really awful ones like the aforementioned Ape. Um, which is just, oh, it's just painful from like start to finish. And if you want to, if you still like want to watch it, I mean, just watch, uh, Brendan over at, uh, Brendan Coult's movie reviews, who does like a summarized version of the plot for it. And, uh, it's probably the more bearable way to watch it than trying to watch that one straight. That's for sure. So I was saying that I'm, I've always enjoyed, I mean, it's not a kaiju film. It's an American film. I always liked Mighty Joe Young. That was one of the staples of my childhood on like bbc2 regularly along with the sort of the seven faces of mr lau whatever it was you know no. i like mighty joe young <laughs> so, i'm not against a giant ape yeah i mean for some reason mighty joe young despite obviously coming out before king kong always seems to get lost in the mix um and we always seem to forget about this wonderful giant ape movie i mean the same thing way that we forget about the the follow-up to king kong son of kong uh we only seem to in our subconscious, we seem to think there's only been three Kong movies. We got King Kong, um, King Kong seventy six, and Peter Jackson's King Kong from two thousand and five. Um, and obviously now we've got the new one, Kong Skull Island, to go with that. But there's obviously been more than just these films. I mean, obviously just going through the straight King Kong, well, we've obviously got Son of Kong, which was uh, released the same year as King Kong. We've then go into the kaiju ones with King Kong versus Godzilla and our aforementioned King Kong Escapes. Uh, then we got King Kong 76, which was followed up in 86 by King Kong Lives, uh, which, interestingly enough, you can also pick up at Tesco for the same price that you probably paid for these two. So, Hey, it's, I, it's my new go-to place <laughs> <laughs> for movies. I've, ne- I've never come across anything which really wasn't sort of top 20 films there before, and there they were more than one copy of them so yeah they they uh i think that's the great thing when you have something like king kong gets remade is that you find the supermarkets will wheel out like a vanilla disc of the classic versions it certainly happened with with when peter jackson's king kong comes out that we saw the disc for king kong versus Godzilla and king kong escapes come out so i'm always kind of happy when Kind of happy and frustrated at the same time because it's frustrating the fact they're remaking it, but happy the fact that we get an updated version of the old film. So, but um, yeah, I mean, did you like the Peter Jackson version? I've never seen it. I I'm going to fess up now. Okay. I love Peter Jackson's early movies. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of his. So I love Heavenly Creatures and some of the the, the his more horror oriented stuff earlier on brain dead and things like that but 
I can't stand movies that are three hours long. So <laughs> it's not just King Kong, and you know people are going to throw um, darts at me now. I can't stand the Lord of the Rings films. I can't stand The Hobbit, um, and, and I'm afraid King Kong's in that in that thing where where I think you should be able to tell a story within two hours, especially a story that's been told before. Yeah. Um. I mean, I like I like the Jackson version. It's a journey. It's like it's like an adventure film, which is something that's missing from cinema at the moment, in my personal opinion. There's no, there's none of these like uh, grand adventure films, like you know, like King Solomon's Mines and those sort of movies where you go into strange places and you're seeing wondrous things. And that's what I love about the Peter Jackson version. Yes, it is completely fanboy material, and you can tell that when he'd obviously made the studio loads of money by doing the Lord of the Rings trilogy that he'd taken advantage of being given carte blanche to do exactly what he wanted to basically ran with it and gave us the three hour version of King Kong that you can even get a longer version still. Uh, if you so wish, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm too old for that. <laughs> <laughs> just break it up. <laughs> that's what you got to do. Just, that's what DVDs, uh, the DVDs hold your place. Don't they? Oh. So. Well, absolutely. When people like you and me have to watch so many films, not always by choice. I'm afraid a lot of film watching is is fragmented, and so the the DVD and Blu-ray and streaming era are fantastic for that. But um, yeah, but um, no, King Kong escapes. It's perhaps it's one that's viewed in the sort of upper echelon of kaiju movies. One put like the long the likes of like uh, like Mothra and Destroyer Monsters and and certainly the more fun sort of uh, Godzilla movies, really from like Invasion of the Astral Monsters through to like Terror Mecha Godzilla, that sort of era of Godzilla movies, this is falls very much firmly within it. And while Honor is not perhaps giving his low angles and giving a sense of scale with this, this is very much a pay-to-play project you can feel like. He's just basically took this project on because he's like... Toho's go-to guy for giant monster movies it seems and he brings a lot of fun elements to the film and it's just fun escapist uh sort of kaiju movie it's nothing too serious and uh there's certainly a lot of fun to be had even if it is completely daft we're going to take a quick break when we return though we will be looking at our further viewing why haven't you seen jaws i've seen finding nemo that's close enough right why haven't you seen the usual suspects because I already know who Kaiser Soze is. I can't believe you haven't seen Videodrome. What? Has anyone seen Videodrome? You Why haven't seen Psycho? Okay, okay, okay. How about I start a podcast where someone will introduce me to one of these great movies I've never seen before, and in return, I'll have them watch a superhero movie, film-wise. The Why Haven't You Seen This Film podcast. Find it on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And we're back. Uh, on to our further viewing now. This is the part of the show where we obviously recommend our films that we would like to pair um, our selection with. Obviously, for King Kong Escapes, um, it's a kaiju movie. So it should really come as little surprise that uh, what we're going to be, be going with for this one. But, uh, Stephen, I mean, do you want to go first with uh, what you've chosen for this one? Okay, I will. And I'll not only go first, but I'll go back to the first to the original king of the monsters i guess to the very first godzilla movie from 1954 i think um so it's 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 where it all started it's a 
black and white film, shock horror. Um, and it again, really stands up today. I think it's a bit of a darker film than the one that we've just discussed. Um, the, the black and white really works. So a lot of the, um, hokiness maybe of some of the later movies isn't there because of the way black and white works in hiding some flaws in, in model work and in, um, in, in costume work, but it's got a really serious genesis in terms of this is made within a decade of the atomic bombs going off in Japan, the, the sort of the subtext of what's going on and the impact that's had on Japanese society because this Godzilla is woken, isn't it, by um, American atomic testing in the uh, Pacific. And it's, it's just a really solid film. It's an iconic film because guess what? It spawned a whole bunch of, well, multiple franchises and we're still remaking it today in the West. So if you can find a good copy of the original Japanese film, and I think the BFI do one here in the UK, I couldn't recommend it more. It's a fantastic film. Oh, definitely. So uh, the original Godzilla is... It's interesting because it's compared to it, the films which followed, it's a very sober and dark monster movie. Uh, we obviously have scenes of field hospitals in the aftermath of Godzilla's attack. Uh, we obviously have that iconic scene of the mother huddling her children while buildings are collapsing around her. And it's very... It's, it's such a wonderful film. And again, this is just... Holder, the way he chooses to shoot Godzilla, he shoots from low angles, and we get a real sense of scale and size with the the monster in this one. The film itself drawing inspiration from um, a group of uh, fishing vessels that actually accidentally sailed into a nuclear test scenario, and that was part of the origin of this film being created. Um, the name itself, uh, obviously, was supposed to... The original Godzilla was supposed to be a combination of a gorilla and a whale, if you haven't believe it. Uh, thankfully, they made some alterations and it became the iconic creation it is now. Um, apparently, the name Godzilla was also taken from one, a nickname given to one of the stagehands on the Toho set, uh, which has been proven and disproven over the years, but... It's uh, completely up to yourself, obviously, how you wish to uh, go with that. But no, Godzilla is a completely iconic movie. I couldn't agree more, Stephen. And uh, you're right in saying that if you're going to watch this, watch the original Japanese cut, not the Godzilla, the King of the Monsters American cut that is obviously uh, floating around on various labels there. Uh, most noteworthy for including Raymond Blair as the American newscaster. Uh, which they've worked in basically so they could sell it to the American audiences by saying, oh, look, here's all these Japanese actors, but wait, there's an American actor for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid that's um nature of the beast at the time, I suppose. But at the same time, um, I mean, I know you've, you've, you've spoken to other people about um, this kind of thing. Uh, in In the UK, our experiences with Godzilla films are not as common so in america this is real saturday morning fair isn't it all the godzilla films they've all had american dubs or re-edits and things like that and and it's much more deeply rooted in their in, in a certain age of person's childhood 
and in the in in the common cinematic and entertainment language of people which much more than it is here in the uk oh definitely so when we look at um how japan views these films i mean the being offered to direct a Godzilla movie is considered to have the same honor that a british director being offered the chance to direct a bond movie they view it at that high level and obviously to western audiences we just view these just like hokey you know monster sized smackdown movies but no there's actually a lot of honor and tradition with the series and toho uh the head of toho studios is so protective over the godzilla properties which has made it such a pain to get them released over here and meant that more than likely if you're in the uk chances are that the only way you've uh, been able to see them all is if you purchase yourself a multi-region player or uh, found someone to uh, convert the tapes for you um but yeah you're right in america it's sort of like saturday morning fair for ourselves in britain i mean this was sort of like late night channel 4 viewing really wasn't it so if if if, if you're lucky and then probably the same six showing over and over again and of course sitting on my on my laptop now waiting for my probably my next review i'm going to do at guaylo ramblings is the new shin godzilla so the, the the latest offering which by all accounts is much more like the original the very first film so it have been interesting to see that when i get around to watching it cool um as for myself, I'm going to go with one of the high points of the Godzilla series. So you're getting a Godzilla double bill from both myself and Steven for this uh, edition of Further Viewing. Uh, we're going to go with the 1968 Destroyal Monsters, again directed by Ishio Honda. Um, also scripted by uh, Takashi Kimura, who did uh, King Kong Escapes. So we obviously have that connection. This would be the last film that the Godzilla fathers would work on as a group they would obviously return in, as like one or two members to work on further films uh certainly Ishii or Hoda would direct more Godzilla films in the series and this was originally designed as the film which was going to mothball the series they were going to like do this one big entry and it would end the series unfortunately um, uh of complete surprise to the backers it went on to be a huge success and meant the series continued for many years afterwards uh giving it in many ways its second wind uh this particular era of the godzilla movies continuing right through to the terror of mecha godzilla in sort of like the late 70s the film itself it sees all the monsters of the world rounded up and put onto this island known as Monsterland. And here they live in peace and they've got various security sort of things set up in place to stop them escaping and making a beeline to Japan whenever they get the urge. And they're, they're living quite happily when mysteriously all the monsters disappear uh, when they're kidnapped by the Calaxis, who are this alien race another common theme of this particular era of godzilla movies and they basically now might use mind control to send the monsters to destroy the cities of the world and this film would be noteworthy especially because it features this wonderful smackdown where all these monsters team up to take on king gazora in a monster sized smackdown the likes that we probably wouldn't see until godzilla final wars um now, the reason I've chosen Destroy Monsters, not only because it's my personal favourite, is the fact that in recent years it's been wrongly bashed by a number of 
court critics who have declared it as being hokey and rubbish and i've never understood why i mean this is a movie where you get to see eight monsters have a fight at the end uh you get to see a manila for once not being an irritating little sod that he is that looks like gray lumpy mash he's actually kind of adorable in this version um and basically toho any monster that they had they wheeled out so we get to see baragon again from obviously return from king kong escapes uh we get to see mandra we get to see a lot of the sort of key characters there such as mothra and rodan uh, my personal favorite, Angulus, all getting big starring moments, as well as uh, obviously the big guy himself, Godzilla, getting into said uh, said about destroying New York several years before he would obviously get a chance to do that in the '98 version. So, uh, if you get a chance, I mean, Destroy Monsters is a fantastic entry in the series, um, and it's one of the few that uh, it's actually not too bad to get hold of here in the UK. You can certainly pick it up on VHS and more than likely you can probably pick it up on DVD as well by this point. But uh, yeah, if you've not seen it, Destroy Monsters will be my uh, pick for this particular episode. And I'll wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, it, it's one of the few I've seen. I actually reviewed it, I think about six months ago. Um, I was bought to it both because I'd listened to your... Um, your interview with August Vagoni, where you'd wax lyrical about it. <laughs> At the same time, I was rereading Warren Ellis's planetary comic book. And first or second issue of that sort of has a look at the at monster, uh, monster Island or Island zero, depending on yeah. what W you're using. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and it, it uses a very different way of looking at it. But I thought, oh, that's a, what a fantastic idea, an island prison for all these monsters, which may have brought me to destroy all monsters. And whilst I might not be as emotionally attached to some of these characters, and even though half of them are, it's another fabulous romp. And like you say, at the end, a whole bunch of monsters fight each other and take on a bigger monster. And what's not to love? <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah hugely entertaining it's a hugely entertaining film and i'm I'm very surprised that there is negative feelings towards it and that uh i guess brings us to the end of another edition of the uh, asian cinema F film club um before we obviously uh wrap this one up uh steven it is your selection for episode three what are you going to go with Okay, well, for the last two episodes, we've hung around in Japan and we've we've looked at a classic anime and we've looked at a classic film studio, I suppose, in terms of Toho. So what I thought we'd do, I thought we'd move away from Japan for our next episode and we'll go to Thailand and we'll have a look at Wisit Sasanatieng's Tears of the Black Tiger, which is about as cult a Thai movie as you can find. Um, it's It's a parody of westerns and thai soap operas and um i hopefully you'll have a blast with it <laughs> it's certainly one that i've only seen once and i'm kind of interested to see it again because uh, it's such an unusual film and thailand is one of those areas of asian cinema which never seems to get a huge amount of love i mean when we think of asian cinema we just obviously think of hong kong japan and and south korea um, so we obviously tend to overlook these areas such as Thailand, which are obviously producing films of note. Um, 
So, I mean, uh, it, it does. It. Do, I mean, it has a very good reputation for horror movies. So Thai horror movies are a class above most other Asian horror films. Um, so, you know, you, you probably heard of, you probably know Shutter, and a few others. Um, but there is, and there's a great indie scene there. Well, the reason I've chosen this one, and we'll talk about it next time, is because it, it, it's like no other Thai film you'll have seen. And probably not many other Asian films you've seen, but you, I suspect you will draw some parallels with some other Asian filmmakers. Cool. Well, I look forward to uh, obviously discussing that one with you next. Um, coming up in the next episode of the Mad Bandara Strange Showcase, I'm going to be sitting down with Zoe from the site Zobo with a Shotgun. We're going to be uh, looking at dog soldiers as well as taking a, what I'm sure will be a wonderful trip into the Amazon as we look at the always controversial uh, Cannibal Holocaust. So uh, that's coming up in the next episode. Um, and then obviously Stephen will be back for episode three of the Asian Cinema Film Club, where said so we'll be looking at Tears of the Black Tiger. Um, in the meantime, if people want to come and find you on the web and find your bits and pieces, Stephen, where is the best place to find you? Okay, we can find my own blog at um, com. Or you can see some of my other more varied writings and articles, along with plenty of others, at easternkicks.com. I think that's pretty much it at the moment. Okay. Um, Are you on the Twitter at all? I am on the Twitter. I'm on the Twitter at at LPVO. That's E-L-P-E-E-V-I-O. And if you want to email me, you can email me at thingsfallapart at hotmail.co.uk. Fantastic. Um, as for myself, it's uh, on Twitter, it's uh, at Elwood underscore Jones. And you can obviously find my film writings at uh, from the depths of DVD health.blogspot.co.uk. Um, if you want to hear me talk about Buffy, you can do with that sort of at channelsuperhero.com, as well as my retro video uh, views or the game warp stuff, which you can find at thatmomentin.com as well. Um, until next time, uh, I'd like to thank my co-host as always, Stephen, for joining me to discuss King Kong Escapes this evening. Thank you very much for having me. Very enjoyable as ever. Cool. And uh, this is Edward Jones signing off for another edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. Remind you as always, keep it strange. Hey! きのうのことは忘れてきのうのあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が来るだけ散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ胸に刺さった恋の刃が燃える思いを狂わすのさ昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ